Greetings to all of you who are worshiping with us from wherever you are in this world. Isn't it amazing how we are all connected today? We're in the midst of messages called the Love Series. The Love Series. If you haven't watched the earlier episodes, I encourage you to watch those with your family. We've all learned that true love is from God. He is the source of all true love, and we must receive it in order to pass it on to others. True love is not driven by feelings or emotions, although we can expect that emotions will follow. True love is not just words, but action. We learn how we can love difficult people and how that also includes forgiving them. Today, we shall see another side of love that comes from the heart of God. The title of our message is True Love Serves. Can you all say that? True love serves. Many of you may feel that something is missing in your life. Believe it or not, serving with the love of God brings so much fulfillment. As you practice this, it will give you so much joy and delight. Let's have Jesus explain how this all works. And by the way, wait till the end. I have a surprise for you. True love serves. Point number one is that Jesus describes the love that serves. He describes the love that serves. Point number two, Jesus demonstrates the love that serves. We're just going to focus on these two points of how Jesus tells us about what true love is all about. God designed us to serve. We were not created by God just to work, just to get married, raise a family, have kids, eat breathe and consume resources. No, God designed each of us to make a difference with our life. Not just take from it, but give something back. And the Bible is very clear and emphatic. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, what is this verse telling us? We were created. We were created by God, first and foremost, to do good works, to serve God by serving others. These good works are things that God has already prepared for us to do. Whenever you serve others in any way, you're actually serving God and fulfilling one of your purposes in life. Let's look at the context of this verse Let's go two verses before this, okay? Verses eight and nine. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Now, God saved us. He saved us by grace, simply by grace. Nothing more, nothing less. What is grace? Grace is something we don't deserve. And that's why salvation, it says, is the gift of God. It's a free gift. Now, we cannot save ourselves. We must have, notice, faith in Jesus. We must have faith in Jesus. Has there been a time in your life when you humbly prayed to Jesus, telling him, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I repent of my sins and I trust you alone as my Savior. That's the prayer we should make from our hearts. 
Notice it very clearly says it's not as a result of works. It's not of works. God already did the work for us. But after we're saved, what must we do? God wants us to be involved in good works. He wants us to serve Him by serving others. You see, the evidence of salvation is good works, our changed lives. The danger today for many Christians is that we can become indifferent, sometimes complacent, and more inward focused, detached from the outside world. Let's face it, we all grow up wanting to be served, not wanting to be servants, much less not wanting to be treated as servants. And yet, it is when we serve others that true joy and fulfillment in life begins. You and I are saved in order to serve. Now, you cannot say, I will love God, but I don't want to serve people. You can't say that. When you love God, you will want to serve who? People. Yes, service is all about people. It's not about programs. It's all about people. They say, you can serve others without loving God, but you cannot love God without serving others. That is so true. Jesus had an encounter with a lawyer where he taught that true love serves. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 27, and the lawyer, who was an expert in the law, stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that a good question? He was asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Or how can I get to heaven? And perhaps you've asked that question of yourself many times. And you're still asking that question today. Lord, how can I be sure that I will go to heaven? Perhaps you're not sure. Listen carefully. These lawyers or scribes were experts in the law of Moses. And it says, he put him to the test. He put Jesus to the test. Can you imagine that? Testing Jesus to see if he knew the law. Well, Jesus replied. And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? He answered the question with his own questions. Jesus was a master teacher. He knew the answer, but he allowed the lawyer to answer the question himself. And the lawyer, knowing the law of Moses, he quotes from Deuteronomy. In Luke 10, 27, from Deuteronomy, he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. He goes on to say, And your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Leviticus. So the lawyer knew the law. Well, Jesus replies. He says to him in verse 28, And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. The lawyer asks another question. He goes on, verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Well, in those days, the priests and the scribes, the Levites, they would tell people that their neighbors were only other fellow believers or fellow Israelites, Jews, no one else. Jesus 
now tells the lawyer and all those standing around who are listening, including his own disciples, who is our neighbor and what it means to love your neighbor. Jesus tells them a story of the Good Samaritan. And friends, I want you to listen as if you're hearing this for the very first time in your life. This is where Jesus describes the love that serves. He goes on, Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. This poor guy was left half dead on the road, bloody, beaten. And by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. It continues, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. They're just avoiding this poor guy. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Verse 34 says, And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii, which was a big amount in those days, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay. Jesus ends by saying, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? That was his question. Back to the lawyer. And he said, The one who showed compassion to him? Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. What's the title of our message again? True love serves. Remember that. True love serves. Let me just say this very clearly. We are not saved because we love and serve others. But we love and serve others because we are saved. If we want to bring someone closer to God, serving them with the love of Jesus makes an impact. In the story that we read, these three men were given a test. A wonderful test. Do you like tests? Do you believe that God sends you tests daily? Yes or no? Oh, why? Why does God send you tests daily? Not for you to fail, but for you to build your faith. Yes, for you to see where you need to grow spiritually and for you to glorify God as others watch how you respond to those tests. Okay, can I test you? Come on, a simple test. Okay, here it is. I will ask you to spell a word three times. And then after that, I will ask you a question. Now you need to answer immediately out loud. I don't care who's around you, but answer out loud. Are you ready? Okay. First word is spell silk. S-I-L-K. One more time. S-I-L-K. Louder. S-I-L-K. What do cows drink? Uh -uh. Many of you said milk, huh? Malia, not milk. They drink water, by the way, water, okay? They give milk, but they drink water. Oh, next word, next word. Spell spot, okay? Ready? Go. S-P-O-T. One more time, louder. 
S-P-O-T. One more time. S-P-O-T. Now, what do you do when you see a green light? You. No, no, no. You don't stop. You go. Green. (laughs) Guys, I don't want to be around you when you're driving, huh? Okay, that was just a fun test. Did you pass the test? In the test that Jesus was talking about, we all expect that the priest and Levite would pass with flying colors. But it is the Samaritan who comes out as the valedictorian. Why? What qualities of true love in service did he have? And by the way, is it natural for us to serve? I believe it's, it's a total opposite. We all want to be served because we are selfish. We're lazy. We feel entitled. We feel like we're, we're, we're proud. Serving with love is something we cannot do unconditionally in our own power without selfish motives unless we are truly committed and empowered by God Himself. Why did the priest and Levite choose not to help but to walk on the opposite side? Why? Now, you may not know this little fact, but during their time, religious people saw the world from the perspective of clean and unclean. And their role was to minister to the people in the temple. According to their law, if they were to touch a dead body or a bloody corpse, they will be considered defiled or unclean for seven days. Meaning both the priest and the Levite were afraid that they would not be able to perform their religious duties. Numbers chapter 19 verse 11 says, Whoever touches the corpse of any person will be ceremonially unclean seven days. Are we too so consumed with our work that we fail to put the lives of others as priority? The priests and Levites despised and detested Samaritans. They were considered as half-breed Jews who by birth were already ceremonially defiled or unclean. The priest and Levite had no mercy or compassion for the half-dead man The Samaritan didn't consider what's clean or unclean. He saw a man in need and he responded. Friends, we must see the need. See that need, whether it's great or small. This truly shows that the best representative of God in this world, they don't have to be the most intelligent, the most eloquent, the most gifted. They're the kindest and most humble people. They know that they're not perfect. They deeply respect people, no matter who they are or what status in life they may be. They don't have an air of spiritual superiority or or religious arrogance over others. Let me ask you, do you fit this description? Are you sensitive to the simple needs of others? All three of them saw the need, but the priest and the Levite failed to serve with love. They put themselves above the need. Unless we see the need as greater than our personal priorities, we will never serve with love. The Samaritans saw this stranger with compassion. Jesus said to him in Luke 10, 33, But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, when he saw him, saw the need, he felt compassion. Do you see that? Jesus was saying here, his heart was filled with pity and pain. Do you have compassion 
for those in need around you? If you do, that's a great and special gift from God. We need to have a heart of God to see the needs of people around us and take action in service. Otherwise, it is useless. There are so many people whose hearts are hard and unconcerned for others. I read a story about a tragedy of a boat that sank off the Puerto Galera Channel. It was a boat designed for 60 passengers and 90 people were placed into it, all packed into this boat. A family was part of this boat going on a vacation to an island. The wind and the waves were so tremendous that the boat boat sank and passengers didn't have enough life jackets. 12 of them drowned. Among those who drowned were two children, their yaya and their grandmother. What was even more tragic was the fact that as the boat was sinking, there was another boat passing by and the passengers of that boat were just taking pictures and videos, watching them struggle without offering any help or rescue. Today, as you walk about, there are so many people around you who are in need. And God wants you to open your eyes and see their needs and feel their pain and offer true love and service. These needs don't have to be about life or death. Even the most simple acts of service is what we ought to be looking for. Family, family, be willing to just do little acts of service and kindness to your parents and siblings. It it may mean cleaning, cooking, fixing, washing, helping around the home. It may mean a thousand different loving responses to the needs of your family. And don't wait to be told, just do it. You know, some people, they walk around with a do not disturb sign. You know what I'm talking about? Like the one they hang on, on the hotel room doors. Yeah, if I had one, I could show you. Oh, oh, this is it. They hang it on their heart, silently saying, I have enough problems of my own. I don't want to take care of other people's needs. Husbands and wives, do you know what causes 90% of the problems in your marriage? Your problem is not financial. It's not emotional, physical, or even your in-laws. Those are the exterior issues. Your real problem is what? Selfishness. Yes. You think of yourself. You think of your needs. You think of your wants. You don't think of the needs of your spouse. Now, those of you who are single, listen up. I'm warning you. You must develop selflessness to be able to be willing to put up with the needs of your future spouse over and above all your own needs. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's so clear. It's not about us. It's it's reaching out to other people and seeing what they need. And we do that with humility. We do that with humility. To see the need of others with compassion is to see beyond yourself. It's putting yourself in their shoes or their sandals. And it's seeing others as more important than yourself. You see, love sees beyond self and willingly serves. What did the Samaritan do? 
when he saw the need. Look at verse 34. The Samaritan came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. That's what he did. It was his loving response to serve. Tell me, do you think that this Samaritan brought a first aid kit in his backpack? I don't think so. Where did he get the bandage? Where? Well, here's what most likely happened. I can imagine him tearing his, his robe, his, his shirt, tunics, or whatever he had, tearing his clothes to be able to get bandage for the man. And then he poured his, his expensive oil and wine on the wounds. This Samaritan shared his possessions. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to share our possessions. Now, I'm not talking about material possessions alone, okay? Well, let me tell you a story. I was driving several years ago, driving home from work one night along Sukkot Avenue. And as I was driving, I saw an accident happen right there. And out of one of the cars came this woman who was screaming and shouting for help. I suddenly stopped and, and she pleaded and begged for her husband to be brought to the hospital. Without a second thought, I, I opened my back door. People carried that man in and, and threw him in the back seat. And she got in the front door and she started hammering and banging on the dashboard to rush to the hospital. I drove like a madman and she was crying and screaming the whole time. When we got to the hospital emergency driveway, I was honking my horn and medics came out and pulled the man out of the back seat. She also got out of the car and rushed inside the emergency room. And when the doors were closed, I, I went on my way. When I got home, I realized we didn't even exchange names. I started cleaning all the blood from the blood stains of the man in the back seat. And I actually really felt blessed in having served them. I don't know, but it was something different. The Samaritan put the half-dead man on his donkey and brought him to an inn. Can you imagine that this man's blood was pouring all over the saddle or the blanket of the donkey? 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? The good Samaritan was willing to be interrupted, to be sidetracked for a greater purpose. Part of possessions is a resource we all consider valuable, and that is time. Can you all say time? Time. He was willing to give time. He most likely was on a journey for business, and this detour this distraction certainly cost him money. He may have lost an opportunity because this took time away from his personal plans. Remember, friends, true love always costs. If there is no cost, there is no love. God won't ask what kind of car you drove, but he may ask how many people you drove who didn't have transportation. God won't ask how big was your house, but he may ask how many people you welcomed into your home. God won't ask about the clothes you had in your closet, but he may ask how many you helped to clothe. God won't ask in what neighborhood you lived, but he may ask how you treated your neighbors. God won't ask what you did to help yourself, but he may ask what you did to help others.
in verse 35, it goes on. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Do you see the heart of the Samaritan? Amazing. This is when, when the good Samaritan went out of his way to save the person. Save the person. What do I mean? He was so concerned with making sure that this man survives. He told the innkeeper, Hey, sky's the limit. Only budget. Blank check. He was so concerned with the life of this half-dead stranger that he made all the necessary arrangements to ensure that he will be saved. He even was going to spend more of his precious time by coming back again to repay the debt. Now, isn't that so much like what Jesus has done for us? He paid every debt and promises to return again. In Matthew 25, verse 40, it says, Truly I say to you, Jesus says, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Every time that we serve others for Jesus, we're doing it actually for Him. How does this apply to us today? One of the best ways that we can meet the need of others is by sharing the gospel message because that saves people's spiritual lives. That is probably one of the greatest needs of others that we can serve in the love of Jesus. You know, honestly, sometimes I feel overwhelmed by all the opportunities that God gives me to serve others. Oftentimes, I feel I have little to offer the people I see who have needs to be served. But I take great comfort from the truth that Jesus can do a lot with a little. If we offer to Jesus the little that we have, He can multiply it and meet the needs of those people. Let's look at point number two. Point number two, Jesus demonstrates the love that serves. Jesus Himself demonstrates the love that serves. As we continue, we are witnesses of Jesus Himself now in action. In John 13 verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world. Notice this. He loved them to the end. That was the love of Jesus to all of His disciples. The Gospels tell us that the disciples had been arguing among themselves about who among them was the greatest. Can you imagine? In the last moments of Jesus, they were saying, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Jesus said to them in Luke 22, verse 26 and 27, he said this, but it is not this way for you. Rather, the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Notice that. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. What a rebuke from Jesus to his disciples. It was common courtesy for the host of, of any home 
to provide a servant to do the lowest menial task of washing visitors' feet. But this was something that was overlooked. For some reason, there was no servant around. But since all the disciples wanted to be the greatest, no one was willing to do the task of washing the other's feet. Jesus here lives up to his word when he said in Mark 10.45, and this is our memory verse, remember this? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's read that one more time. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. He lived that out. You see, Jesus saw the need. You and I, remember, we must see the need. See the need. In verse 4 and 5, it says, Jesus got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and wrapped it, tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel with which he tied around himself. That's what Jesus did as he saw the need. Jesus knew that in a few hours he will be arrested, that he would be tortured and crucified. If we were in his situation, oh, most likely we would be thinking about our own welfare. What's going to happen to me? And yet his heart was filled with love. It says he loved them to the end. Their lives were more important to him than his own. Now today, instead of you saying, do I have to do the dishes? Do I have to carry out the trash? Do I have to clean my room? Do I have to mop the floor? Do I have to clean the bathroom? You know, we should be quick to see a need, get up and help when others are not watching or doing anything. Don't wait to be asked to serve. What's the title of our message? True love serves. Their feet were grimy, dusty or muddy. Remember that many animals walked on those roads and do what animals do. And no one bothered picking it up or sweeping it away. So people end up walking on it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that's what covered their feet along the path. And they didn't walk around with, with Nikes or Adidas, huh? but sandals, open sandals. Jesus had compassion and affection in his heart for them and did this act of love to be an example. Understand this. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. Jesus, at this moment, he shared his possessions. He shared his possessions. And like we said, possessions is not merely material wealth, but it is costly. With genuine love for his disciples, he was secure in his identity. He knew that he was the creator, rabbi, teacher, master, son of man, son of God, Messiah, king, Lord, and savior. And yet, he took on the role of the lowest slave. Notice how Jesus gave up his comfort, his position of authority, his heavenly role, he shared his possessions with them. Today, in a world filled with sinful pride, Jesus shows us that the greatest is the one who serves others in humility. 
Each of the disciples should have been washing his feet, but they were all too proud to pick up a towel, pour the water, and wash. Jesus went down on his knees, doing this humiliating, this degrading task, washing the feet of sinners. Friends, that's true love serving. Philippians 2, 6 and 7 clearly tell us Jesus Christ, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, a bond slave. That's what he did. How can you share your possessions to those around you? How? Let me first say, model humility. Ask yourself, what's the one job that no one else likes to do in your office or the job site? Or what do people don't, want it, don't like to do in school or in your home? Let me tell you a story. During the start of the pandemic, there was this couple who were burdened to help the frontliners who were living in CCF Alabang building during that time. They called out to friends from Viber Groups and FB to raise funds to buy meals from a friend whose food stall in a school was forced closed. They all provided, believe it or not, more than 1,700 meals for the medical frontliners. They gave them gospel tracts, provided business for their friend who lost her income. Praise God for servants like these. One thing we never hear is how the disciples offered to wash the feet of Jesus. You never hear that. This symbolic act of washing the disciples' feet was really pointing to his final act of dying on the cross. Jesus' mission to humanity was to cleanse us from our sin. In effect, to save people. Save the person. Remember? Save the person. I can just imagine Jesus getting up slowly, silently working his way one by one, washing his disciples' feet, going around the table, and there's, there's dead silence. Quietness filled the room. Not a man dared to speak until Jesus reached Peter. There in verse 6, So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? You see, what Simon Peter was saying was, Lord, stop. I don't deserve to have my feet washed by you. No, Lord. And Jesus answered him and said to him, Peter, what I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. You'll understand later. Jesus was using the washing of their feet, listen carefully, as a symbol for the washing of their souls. The dirt on their feet symbolized the dirt of sin that stained their souls. The water symbolized Jesus' own blood that washes the dirt of sin from our lives forever. You see, he knew they would not understand what he was doing at that moment. But they will finally understand at the cross. Jesus was actually cleaning their hearts more than their feet. However, think about it. When we walk around this world, it's easy to fall into sin, isn't it? Yeah. In our time at work, our conduct with our friends, what we watch on the internet, how, how we speak to others. Do you feel dirty at the end of the day? Yeah. When that happens, you don't need to get saved again. You don't need to get baptized all over again. But you need to have your feet washed. 
meaning you need to confess your sins. And we confess our sins directly to Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's His promise. Jesus' symbol of washing dirty feet teaches us that we need to come to Him daily to be cleansed of the sins that we commit as we walk in this world. Let me ask you, how do you think Jesus felt when He was washing Judas's feet? Have you ever thought about that? Listen, Jesus presented Himself as a servant to His assassin. You know, He probably wanted, I'm going to use boiling water and sandpaper instead of a towel. Did He want to squeeze and pinch the feet of Judas? Or just do a quick rinse? Or did He feel sorrowful knowing that Judas' feet would soon walk away and betray him to his enemies. What about Peter, whom Jesus knew would deny him three times, and the others who would deny him and abandon him and, and just walk away? There would come a time after a few hours of his crucifixion that they would all leave in shame, all except for John, and they would bow their heads and they would look at their feet and see that their feet we're clean. Jesus will lovingly keep reaching out to you until you accept his gift of love, even if you turn your back on him. Friends, today you've learned lessons of true love that serves, how Jesus describes the love that serves, and Jesus demonstrates the love that serves. After washing their feet, Jesus gives them and us a promise with this statement. In John 13, verse 17, he says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You now know these things. And I must tell you, however, knowing about these things but doing nothing is useless. You may forget all that you've heard today in a few days and, and you go back to your old ways. But Jesus says, blessed are you if, if you do them. That's where the blessings come. This is where you need to take steps, even small steps to put it into practice. Obeying what he teaches is where the real blessing is. I truly hope that you've been encouraged to know that Jesus wants to use you to represent him. He wants you to do as He has done to touch people's lives in a godly way that will change them forever. Every time you serve others and point them to Jesus as the reason for your love in action, friends, it gives them value and honor and drives them closer to Jesus. He's counting on you to be His hands, His feet, His mouth and heart in the lives of others. As a surprise, I want to end by sharing a poem that I composed just for you. I hope it blesses and speaks to your heart. Two basins, one choice. Two hearts live in each of us while on earth, one at birth and the other at rebirth. Our hearts are ours 
to others we give, what we receive confirms how we live. The world molds us to grab and take. The kingdom compels us to love for their sake. Two basins before us reveal our true self, the basin of service or the basin of selfish. Jesus knelt down, washing feet, in humility and grace. Pontius stands proud, washing his hands in disgrace. One basin focused on others with love, the other basin with pride of self being above. We stand daily with two basins before us. Our choice determines God's love within us. The basin of Christ brings joy and value to others. The basin of Pilate denies the needs of our brothers. Involvement and sacrifice are strangers in this world. Avoidance and evasion are cowards unconcerned. Jesus' water splashes out for many to enjoy. Pilate's water stays in where lives are destroyed. Which basin will you choose? Service or selfish? We will see a heart of love or a heart of flesh. As for me, the choice is crystal clear. Jesus is my life. I will serve until he appears. What about you, my friends? What will you choose today? I pray that you make the right choice. Let's join our hearts in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you love us so much that we cannot help but with gratitude love others, especially those who are in need. May you give us hearts that are sensitive to people around us and see the needs that they have and share whatever we have to them and have as a goal to save them through your gospel of salvation. I pray, Lord God, that we can direct people to you through the acts that we do in your power. May it impact their lives so much that they will see Jesus Christ in us. Father, we are nothing apart from you, and everything that we do is truly in honor of you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that they would each embrace the truth that love truly serves and that they would live it out in their lives and bring you glory and honor. I pray for anyone here today who may be feeling like, like a Judas who knows Jesus in their head but not in their heart. They say that they're a Christian and yet they know that they turn their back on him each and every day. Friend, I want to pray for you. Make this prayer your prayer from your heart. Lord God in heaven, I humble myself today and I realize that I need your true salvation. I thank you for your love, unconditionally loving me as is where is. And today I surrender my heart to you. I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of all my sins and I put my total trust in you alone. Thank you, Lord God, for forgiving me and giving me eternal life. From this day forth, Lord God, I commit my life to you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for me. I pray all of this in the precious, the mighty, magnificent name 
of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Oh, God bless you. My friends, I pray that the Lord has spoken to all of you in many ways. We want to hear from you. How has this message encouraged you? Or if you're still struggling in serving with love and you need to talk to someone, please connect with us by clicking on the links that you see below. Get in touch with us through chat. We have the Life Online Ministry, so we can give you counsel and pray for you. Here's now the Zoom link on the screen that will lead you to the online welcome center that we've announced earlier. We hope that if this is your first time with us, or even if you've been with us before, you're most welcome to be our guest. We would love to meet you and welcome you to CCF. It's been a joy and delight spending this time with you. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back with our discussion questions and Sunday Fast Track. God bless you all. I love you guys.